Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am so glad you're joining me here on the Bible in Life. Uh, my heart and my goal in this is to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology. And what I mean by that is just down-to-earth Bible teaching. Bible teaching that's in the language of everyday life, rooted in the context of everyday life, to help us follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. And so that's what we're trying to do. And if that sounds like it uh, would be helpful to you, man, please stick around. Maybe listen to some of the other ones. Subscribe to the podcast so that you uh, get notifications when we release new episodes and all that. And if you have already benefited from this podcast and been blessed by it, could I just ask you maybe to share it? Share it on your social media pages. Uh, rate and review it on your podcast app if it has that ability to do it. Uh, share it with friends via text and just let people know, hey, this has been really helpful to me in following Jesus. That would mean a lot to me and it'd be super helpful to others who maybe are interested in learning and growing in their faith and if you think this would be helpful to them as well. All right, over the last handful of weeks, we have been really exploring this theme of living a Jesus-centered life and specifically, we have been focusing on really what's involved in that? What does it mean to live a Jesus-centered life? And we're going to begin making a shift starting in next week's episode to how do we do that? How can we live a Jesus-centered life? But before we make that shift, I wanted to tie everything we've said so far together to help us see what the essence of a Jesus-centered life is. Paul makes a well-known statement in his letter to the Philippians that really gets at the heart of it, that really, in a lot of ways, summarizes everything we've said so far. Paul says this, Philippians chapter 1, to live as Christ and to die is gain. And that's the essence of a Jesus-centered life, to live as Christ and to die is gain. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about how being Jesus-centered means our life isn't our own. John Whitaker, me, I, I have died, and yet I live, but it's not really me living, it's Christ living in me. Um, if we're going to live a Jesus-centered life, it means that we're living our life attached to Jesus, abiding in him. It means we get our wisdom and our advice for life from him. We filter all the information, all the the little blips and memes and all the things we see on social media, all of that gets filtered by Jesus's words, not the other way around, that he is our wisdom and we listen to him. It means that knowing him now and forever is the ultimate goal of life and pleasing him is what we live for. We don't live for ourselves anymore. He's our reason for being. He's the motivation for all we do. Well, when you boil all of that down into one statement, it seems to me that what Paul says there in Philippians chapter 1 is the statement you would say, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Um, to live a Jesus-centered life means that Jesus is life. And so what I want to do is I just want to flesh out a little bit what Paul is saying here in Philippians 1.21. Because Paul is, he's saying it about himself, but he's offering himself and his circumstances as an example to the Philippians, and by extension to us as now we read that letter, he's offering himself as an example to us of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the reason Paul's doing that is because he was a Jew. And as a Jew, he had a very clear idea of what discipleship entailed, what it looked like to make disciples. To be a disciple for the Apostle Paul was very, very concrete. 
You left everything to attach yourself to a rabbi, and the goal of your life was to become like the rabbi. That's what it meant to be a disciple. Well, the rabbi provided a concrete pattern for you of obeying God and following God, and you, as his disciple, you imitated his way of life. So, here comes the Apostle Paul, commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples of all the nations, right? And in making disciples of Jesus, Paul's going to offer himself as a concrete pattern of what it looks like to follow Jesus. In fact, you'll see statements like this in Paul's letters. First, the most well-known is probably 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He's offering himself as a concrete pattern because that's how you made disciples. In fact, even in the letter to Philippians, he'll say the same sort of things. Philippians chapter 4 9, he says, The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, he says, practice these things. That's Philippians 4 9. And so he's offering himself to the Philippians as a concrete pattern of following Jesus. Well, that's what's going on here in Philippians chapter 1 when Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. In the flow of the letter to the Philippians, what Paul is doing there is he's filling them in on his situation and his circumstances, and he's doing it in such a way that he's helping them learn what it might mean for them to follow Jesus in their circumstances and what it might mean for us to follow Jesus in our circumstances. So, what are Paul's circumstances? What's going on with him when he says these words? When, when Paul says that to die is gain, to live is Christ, like life equals Jesus, um, what's being fleshed out at that moment in Paul's life, and what does that teach us about living a Jesus-centered life? Well, let's just look at the context. Picking up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So at this point in the letter, Paul is shifting to give them a news report about himself. But what he ends up doing is really giving a news report about how well the gospel is doing. And you hear it as he opens this section by saying, my circumstances have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What's his circumstances? Well, he's He's in prison when he writes this. He's under house arrest in Rome. You could read about it at the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, the last few verses. Paul's in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier who's guarding him, and they have shift chains, and he'll get a new one, right? And what happens, as he says in Philippians 1, 13 and following, is the result of that is he's talking and teaching and sharing with his guard and talking to other people who are coming to visit him all about Jesus and Jesus' resurrection and the result is they go back to the barracks and they tell the other soldiers, dude, this guy I was just chained to for the last shift of four hours or whatever, he thinks there's this Jewish guy who was crucified by Pontius Pilate, but had rose from the dead and came back to life. And so word about Jesus spreading through all the Roman barracks. That's what Paul describes in verses 13 and 14. Not only that, he says, he says that there are some of the Christians in and around Rome who, for whatever reason, they have maybe a jealousy thing with Paul or they're envious of him. Who knows? But Paul's locked up and he says some of them are sharing Jesus out of goodwill. They just want to share Jesus because of Paul's imprisonment. It's given them more curse. Like if Paul can suffer that for the faith in Jesus and sharing Jesus, I can do that too. Some are doing, he says, out of 
ill will. They want to stir up trouble for Paul's imprisonment. We don't know exactly what they had in mind, obviously. We're just hearing Paul's side of that, and so we don't really know what their selfish motive was that, that they had going on. But they're still sharing Jesus. And how does Paul respond to that? Paul responds by saying, hey, I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being proclaimed. It's not going to stir up trouble for me. It's not going to make me jealous. It's not going to make me feel bad that I can't be out there preaching Jesus. I'm just glad that Jesus is being preached. And and he says uh, this. He says, not only that, I, I also will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus According to my eager expectation and hope that I will catch this, I will be put to shame in nothing, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, Paul is saying, here I am sitting in prison, and my only thing I really care about, whatever happens, whether I live or die, the only thing that matters, he says, is that Christ be exalted in my body, in my life, in the way I live, in the things I do, the things I say, the way I conduct myself, that Christ be lifted up and exalted. And then he says that statement in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And notice that that statement begins with, for to me, that for is explanatory. He's explaining what he just said about Christ being exalted in his body, either by life or by death. In other words, what he's saying is, look, here's the reason all I care about is Jesus being exalted. Because for me, to live is Jesus. To die is gain. It's a win-win situation. And I can't go wrong. In fact, that's where he goes coming out of that in verses 22 and following. He says, if, I, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means more fruitful labor to serve Jesus and tell people about Jesus and to help you follow Jesus. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus, and that's better by far. So, man, if I had to choose, I don't know which one I would choose because either way I win. And so for Paul, all he wants is Jesus. All he wants is Jesus to be glorified. So there's Paul sitting in Rome, chained to a Roman guard, in a small little tiny apartment, waiting for trial. That's his circumstances. Not only that, when you put it in the whole context of everything we know about Paul leading up to this moment, he's already been in prison for two years. He was in prison for two years in the uh, city of Caesarea over on the east coast of the Mediterranean. He eventually appealed to Caesar, uh, traveled to Rome, had a shipwreck in the Mediterranean Sea, waited out the winter on the island of Malta, and then finally makes it to Rome. And now he's been sitting in Rome for almost another two years. And so he hasn't been able to travel and preach for nearly four years. Uh, and how does he view his circumstances? He views his circumstances through Jesus. He views his circumstances for Jesus. His life, he says, is all about Jesus being exalted in his body, whether through life or through death. For him, Jesus is his life. Jesus is what he lives for. And that's the example that Paul offers to the Philippians and to us for living a Jesus-centered life. Christ exalted in our body when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Christ exalted in our body when it's easy to do and when it's hard. Christ exalted in our body when we're able to serve him just the way we always envisioned and wanted, and even when we're stuck in a Roman prison. Christ exalted in our body, whether by life or by death. Jesus 
equals life. Ultimately, that's what it means to live a Jesus-centered life. What life is all about is Jesus. And so, if we're going to live a Jesus-centered life, and we're going to take Paul's words to heart, to live as Christ and to die as gain, we, we need to ask ourselves questions like, how can I exalt Jesus in these circumstances? What does it look like to magnify and glorify Jesus in this situation? What would it look like what does living for Jesus look like right where I am at right now? Maybe it's where I want to be at. Maybe it's not where I want to be at, but it's where I'm at. What would it look like to live for Jesus, to embody Jesus right where I'm at right now? What if things don't turn out the way I want? How could I glorify Jesus even then? What does that look like? Living for Jesus, to live as Christ, means being united with him right where you live today, whatever the circumstances. It means I lay down my life for the sake of Jesus. I've been uh, listening to a little bit of some of the talks of Elizabeth Elliot um, on YouTube that have been preserved, and I've read a number of her books, and I've always admired her approach to following Jesus. And if you know her story and you know it's connected to the Jim Elliott story that her and Jim and their passionate pursuit of serving Christ, even ahead of their own desire to be married, then finally getting married. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, Jim and his friends being killed for their faith. And then two years after that, Elizabeth uh, and Rachel Saint moving in with the very tribe who killed Jim Elliot and Rachel Saint's brother and living with them and, and trying to embody Jesus to them in spite of all the difficulties of that. I've just always admired from that moment throughout her whole life that her whole life was, like Paul's, lived for Jesus. And what has struck me particularly of late as I have listened to a couple of her talks on YouTube is the emphasis on laying down your life for Jesus, that our life isn't our own, that following Jesus begins with this act of uh, dying to self, uh, picking up our cross, denying ourselves. You know, that is so terribly opposite, if you will, of what the modern world tells us. The modern world tells us to find ourselves. The modern world tells us to follow our heart, to follow your passions, to, to do what you believe in, right? And like, you can be whoever you want to be. Jesus calls us to himself. And when he calls us to himself, as Bonhoeffer, famous for saying, he, he calls us to himself to come and die, to die to ourselves, to die to our passions, to die to maybe even our dreams or our desires, and to lay down our life at his feet, so that our life now no longer belongs to ourselves, it's his. And that's what Paul means when he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The reason for Paul it's a win-win situation is because if he lives, he gets to continue on preaching and teaching and spreading Jesus and serving Jesus in whatever way Jesus enables him to do that. And if he dies, he gets to go be with Jesus, so he can't lose because his life isn't his own. His life belongs to Jesus. And that, that seems to be at the very heart of what it means to live a Jesus-centered life. It means Jesus is life. Jesus is life. 
Our life is all about serving Him, knowing Him, exalting Him, pleasing Him in every single way. That's the essence of a Jesus-centered life. The question then for you and for me is, how can, how can I do that? How can we live a more Jesus-centered life? And beginning next week, I want to look at some things that will help us begin to take these principles we've talked about so far and begin to put them into practice so that step-by-step, progressively and increasingly, Jesus can become more and more the hub and the center of the real life we live. Not some idealistic life, but our actual life, right where we are, in the circumstances we find ourselves, we can actually say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. And thanks to those of you who have made this ministry possible by your generous and faithful support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, there's a link down in the notes below, or you can just visit johnwhitaker.net slash give, just, or just visit johnwhitaker.net, click the give button at the top, and you can donate right there. So thanks to each and every one of you. May you and I live our lives faithfully to serve Jesus and to walk with him wherever we're at, whatever our circumstances, through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. May we be able to say with Paul, to live as Christ and to die as gain. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again next week.